Christ Community Church. Hope you're doing well this morning. I want to give you several announcements before uh, we get started with the sermon. First of all, I want to say thank you for your continued generosity. Uh, when we started 12 weeks ago with the shutdown, we really had no idea what would happen financially, and we were uh, fairly nervous about it, I would say. Um, and you, we're thanking the Lord for your continued support. So uh, first thing I want to say is thank you. Thank you for continuing to give and how that helps uh, us at the church and helps many people in the community. Second thing I want to say is that we have hired Hannah Surratt, who you'll get to hear from uh, later in the uh, video. She is the new Ministry Apprentice, or the MAP program, M-A-P, and that's the Ministry Apprentice program. And many of you know the Ministry Apprentices, Sam Husky and Morgan Cooper and Pearson, all have been ministry apprentices last year, and Hannah's going to step into that role this year. And the ministry apprentice program is where we take somebody who just graduated from college. They spend a year here on staff uh, doing various uh, leadership um, tasks for us and get a chance to see if ministry is something they want to do. And we're very, very excited and really feel blessed to have Hannah, who was going to go on the RUF staff, uh, decide to stay here and be on the Christ Community Church staff. So we feel like we got a an all-star recruit to come be on our staff. Uh, second, the third thing I want to say is uh, I want to encourage you to reach out to people. And I know many of you are already doing this, but you might just take that app for the church and look through it and find somebody that, you know, you kind of see on a Sunday, but you haven't talked to in many weeks, maybe since the shutdown, and just call them. Uh, because I end up getting a lot of phone calls or in a lot of conversations, and one of the main themes uh, that comes out is loneliness. A lot of people feel like they are disconnected, and that disconnection really breeds uh, despair or discouragement or depression or even suspicion in different ways. So uh, maybe you could take some time today to look through that directory, find some familiar face and just say, hey, I want to call you and just be an encouragement and talk for a few minutes. So I'd love for you all to do that. Uh, finally, I want to introduce Tyler Jones, who is the person who's going to preach for us today. I am so excited for you to hear from Tyler. I love Tyler Jones. In 1989, Nancy and I uh, came to Wilmington to visit Wilmington uh, to find out if we wanted to become the area director in Wilmington for Young Life. And uh, on a Friday night, I drove to a neighborhood that's just about two miles from here called Bexley. And I drove up to a house that I'd never been to. And Nancy and I get out for dinner and a conversation. And it was in the spring of 1989. And an eighth grade boy was in that house. And I shook his hand. Uh, that night, and he was going to be a freshman the next year at New Hanover High School, which is where I did ministry, and his name is Tyler Jones. So I met Tyler when he was 13 or 14, and he was one of my um, favorite kids in young life, just to be around, such a solid guy, had a great family, and uh, it has been a joy for me to watch him grow in his faith, and now he is the pastor of a, a pretty significant and influential church in Raleigh called Vintage. And so it's great. It's like a, he's like a son in ministry to me that he's, he's done so many, so many great things. And I've always wanted him to be a part of coming to Christ's community and preaching, but it's hard to get another preacher to come preach for you. And uh, so this was an opportunity to do that. And you are really going to enjoy listening to Tyler. He's, 
He loves Jesus. He knows how to talk about Jesus from God's word. He's going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount today. And um, he's really a great and dear friend. I don't know all that he's going to say because I haven't been able to watch the whole video, but I just want you to know that uh, in case he says something like he's a better athlete than I am, he's not. I'm clearly a superior athlete to Tyler Jones. So I want to make sure that is straight before you get into the sermon. Well, love you guys. Really miss you. Hope we're going to be together next month. And um, we'll be giving you the information as that comes out. But I want to pray for us before we begin today. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness, your compassion, your nearness, your sovereignty over all things. And I would pray for myself, my friends here that are listening, family, that you would give us patience and perseverance. We would be kind to one another. And we would uh, look to you rather to, than to the government or to ourselves or to a podcast or any other source for our hope and our strength. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can't wait to see you. Hey, my name is Hannah Surratt. I started attending Christ Community my sophomore year at UNCW. After having really began my relationship with the Lord my freshman year of college, I came into sophomore year looking for a church that could really help me grow in my understanding of the Bible, but was also really rich in community, and that's exactly what I found here at Christ Community. I started working part-time on staff as the children's ministry intern my junior year and did that until I graduated last month in May. This was such a great opportunity for me as I was an elementary ed major. This was such a good opportunity for me to get to learn to serve children in a new way, but also to get to grow in relationships with the staff and the families here at Christ Community. The Lord also used that position and this church to really grow and sanctify me in my relationship with Him. So being here for the last two years every Sunday and getting to come before and after school to work has just been such a highlight for me in college and really just one of my favorite parts of being here in Wilmington. As I mentioned, I found my relationship with God in college, so I was really excited to work in college ministry post-grad, and the Lord has just been really opening doors in my life over the last few weeks, and so Christ Community graciously offered me a position here as the college and middle school map, and so I'm excited to say that I'll be staying in Wilmington for the next year at Christ Community and working with college and middle school students to meet and counsel with them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, lead them in Sunday school and Bible studies and plan and host events for them, but I'll also be completing the ministry apprenticeship study program in a seminary course as I really focus on deepening my understanding of the Bible and theology and growing my relationship with God. And so I ask that you guys will just be praying for me over this next year as I enter into this new phase of post-grad life and working in full-time college ministry. I know that this is going to be a really exciting time for me, but I'm also going to be learning a lot and growing and being stretched in new ways. I'll also be raising support for part of my ministry apprenticeship program, and so I would love that if you, if you, if you and your family would just prayerfully consider giving to me in that way, and I would love to meet and talk more with you guys about that if you have any questions, but I'm really excited to stay here, and I just want to 
end by saying it's been such an honor and a blessing to get to grow in this church and get to grow in relationships with each of you. And so I'm really excited to continue serving here alongside you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Christ Community Church. Uh, we're so excited that you're going to worship with us from home. Let's start with this song, Manasaras. sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus' Silent as He stood
stone is rolled away, behold the empty tomb. Hallelujah, God be praised, He's risen from the grave. Who else invites me to call him 
Good morning, Christ Community Church. My name is Tyler Jones. I'm the founding pastor of Vintage Church and the Triangle. We are one church and four congregations. Uh, we are in Durham and North Raleigh. We're in Cary and in downtown Raleigh. Um, your pastor and his wife are some of my favorite people I've ever known. Uh, Nancy and Paul have changed my life. And I think you kind of have to say it that way. It's Nancy and Paul. And that's not like picking on Paul. That's just how amazing Nancy is. She's just phenomenal. Uh, probably like me, you've looked at Paul and Nancy and thought to yourself, I just, I don't, I don't understand that. Nancy, Paul must add some information on, on, on her. Uh, Paul and Nancy have been transformative in my life. When Paul was a Young Life Area director, I was one of his kids. Uh, Paul probably almost lost his life a couple of times with me. A trip to New York City is one example you should ask him. If he has never told that story, uh, it is tell-worthy for sure. Uh, but both of them, Nancy and Paul, poured into my life, um, taught me about Jesus, taught me about forgiveness and mercy, uh, showed me what it was to serve with your whole life, uh, showed me what it was to have joy in the kingdom of God, that, that this journey with Jesus should be this rich thing, saturated with grace and full of laughter and eating of good foods and having robust relationships. And so... Um, a lot of the trajectory of my life, planting Vintage Church and uh, the things that we've been able to see the Lord do uh, have been because Paul and Nancy really sowed themselves into me. And so uh, for that, I am forever grateful. I love them. Uh, you have a really good pastor family. Uh, they are, are deep, sweet people. I hope that you'll pray for them. I hope that you'll love them. I hope that you'll serve them. Uh, I know there's a lot of pressures on a lot of people in the times that we find ourselves. There are particularly a lot of pressures on a pastor. Um, if you're unaware of those pressures, I would love to chat with you about them. Uh, my email is tyler at vintagenc.com, and uh, you might be shocked with what a pastor goes through on a daily basis. And so let's chat. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to spend some time together today in Matthew chapter 5. Um, as a church, we've been marching through the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love, uh, the king of love who is Jesus, and uh, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and so we come to a pretty familiar place today. Turn your cheek, um, give your coats, walk the extra mile, and, and you, you probably know a lot of this, but the depth here is just unbelievable, and so let me pray for us and we'll get started, all right? Dear Jesus, I, I am thankful for Paul and Nancy, and I pray that you would just give them unbelievable mercy and grace. Would you fill their souls up with the goodness of Jesus? Would you wrap your arms in the arms of their community around them, Lord? Would you take care of them and their sweet family, Lord? Thank you for the church that they've helped start, Lord. Would you bless this church, God? Uh, what a powerful thing it is, and what a good thing that you've done with Christ Community Church. And uh, I believe that the work is just getting started. And so as COVID has us boxed in and, and in our uh, homes a lot, would you uh, do work uh, through this church that would shock them, Lord. 
that they would come back together soon and they would stand back and say, look what Jesus did. Look how good he was, Lord. Um, And so uh, use us in these moments. God, would you open up the scriptures now and and help us see how lovely you are? Uh, We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. So uh, you kind of know that feeling, don't you, when somebody played a practical joke on you and you get them back with another practical joke? It's like putting on your coat after the summertime, the first fall crisp day, and you put your hand in the pocket and you find a $20 bill. That's what it's like to get somebody back. It's just the best day of the year, almost. Uh, Paul Phillips has played a lot of practical jokes on me, and I owe him a lot, a lot for this. Uh, I could tell many stories. I'll just tell you one. Um, One time we were at Camp Willow Run. And uh, my friends and I, when we were in high school, we loved to play tackle football. And so we had been playing football at camp for probably like an hour and a half, two hours. Um, And and Paul was sitting over on a bench. And uh, right beside Paul was a a Coke bottle. And I was dying of thirst. Now, I'm a germaphobe. And so I don't ever drink after somebody else, ever. That's like a a law for me. Um, But I was so thirsty and dehydrated at the moment. I looked at Paul and I'm like, can I I have a sip of the Coke? And, And he goes, yeah, you can definitely... Have a sip of the Coke. And so I grabbed the Coke bottle and I tilted it back and it was full of like bark and dirt and ashes from a cigarette. And I just spewed it out. And I'm like, Paul. And Paul goes, it's not my Coke. I'm like, are you kidding me? He knew that. It was a practical joke. It was a good one. I've never gotten you back, but I'm gonna get you back one day. Practical jokes are fun until uh, you get yours. And then it's not so fun after that. Um, Payback is a vicious cycle. Um, It's been a law of humanity since the very beginning of time, the law of vengeance. Uh, Actually, some of the earliest laws that we have seen in any society ever written down, ever agreed on, is laws of vengeance. You you know them well, probably, an eye for an eye. And that's what Jesus deals with today. Um, He says this, if you want to get your Bible out, that would be great. If you don't have a Bible, um, you can download one on your phone. Um, and follow along with us. My, uh, my preference today in translations is the ESV. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There's this man named Simon. Simon Winthensall wrote a book. He was in Nazi concentration camps during World War II. When the Allies freed Nazi Germany, he was freed and he went to a hospital to find help and to recover. And in the hospital, an SS Nazi guard asked to speak to a Jewish person. And so he went into the SS agent's room and the agent began to tell a horrific story of how a group of Germans trapped people into a building and lit it on fire. I won't tell you all the details, they're horrific. Um, The story is just um, agonizing to listen to. And the SS agent had the audacity to look at Simon, this Jewish man, and ask the Jewish man for forgiveness. Simon said he went about that day, just unbelievable turmoil in his gut, in his soul, in his mind. All the pressures and pains of an entire nation, of an entire people group was being put on him. Could he dare offer forgiveness for the thousands, millions of people that had died to this, to this guy? And so at the end of the day, he decided to walk out of the room without speaking a word, without giving any forgiveness to him at all. 
For the next 20 years of Simon's life, he tried to figure out if he had done the right thing. He asked uh, Jewish scholars and leaders. He asked family members that were left, friends. He asked Christians. He asked Buddhists. He asked black, white, Asian. He asked educated, uneducated. And here are some of the responses for what people said Simon should have done. The guilt of this horror lies so heavily on the Germans of that time that no personal reaction to it is unjustified. Massive statement. Do anything you want, in other words, to the Germans. Uh, Another statement says this. The millions of innocent people who were tortured and slaughtered would have to come back to life before I could forgive. Third, uh, let the SS man die unshriven. Let him go to hell. Unshriven means um, you didn't have the opportunity to confess and ask for forgiveness. And then finally, a Christian writer confessed, I think I would strangle him in his bed. This is the code of humanity, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's the way the world works. The oppressor becomes the oppressed sooner or later. It always comes back to you. It might take a century. It might take 500 years. But if you oppress a people, they turn it back on you. It's the way of relationships. It might not be so ruthless and so destructive, but it's there. It's the way that you operate with others. I do. We do with each other. If somebody is cold to us, we return cold with stone-like hearts. If somebody rejects us, we begin to distance ourselves and we don't respond or let them in on any way at all. If they gossip us, we take texts that they sent to us and we post it online for people to laugh at and to mock. It's not only the way of the world and the way of relationships, but it's the way of our heart, mine and yours. There's been many things done to us, especially those of us who have found abuse to be central in our lives, where we need to lash out in protection before we let people lash out against us. And so if you plot and you plan and you execute retribution and retaliation, we're missing this new ethic and this transformative power that can take us from death to life. We're missing it. Uh, C.S. Lewis, a writer in the 20th century, said this, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. As I think through this story of Simon, I need to identify more with the SS agent than with Simon. I was there that day at the tree. I didn't kill a random man trapped in a building. I killed a specific man. His name is Jesus. He is God. He is the Son of the Father. And I gave God an absurd gesture with my finger, and then I participated in the murder of his one and only son. It's inexcusable. There's no manner of forgiveness that should be issued to me. I should die in my bed unshriven, and I should go to hell. But then, but then, Jesus issues a new ethic. He issues a new economy of the kingdom of God. On the cross, as he hangs from my brokenness and your brokenness, he issues the precedence of grace. He says in that place, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The inexcusable has been forgiven in me and in you, and you now shall go and live, excusing the inexcusable with forgiveness and mercy. Jesus goes on in Matthew, says this in verse 39, But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. 
We talk at Vintage about the kingdom of love pretty often, and I want us to understand that the kingdom of love is upside down, at least in our mentality, the way that we think it should be structured, the power uh, echelons, the power system, everything's just upside down. Here's what I mean. Uh, the way of government is upside down in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, the king rules after dying on a cross. It's unheard of. No king dies on a cross. It's the way of the kingdom of God. The manner of your entry into the kingdom is totally absurd and different than the other kingdom. None of your work can get you in. No accomplishments can earn it. The only reason that you have entry into the kingdom of God is Jesus. And that he chose you and adopted you into the family of God. The hierarchy of importance is upside down in the kingdom of God. The first will be last and the last will be first. Why? Because of our pride. Our pride keeps us from the king and the kingdom. And so those of us that have the most pride will be the last because we won't think we'll need Jesus. But still, nonetheless, if you're last, you're still into the kingdom of God. Everything is upside down. Service in the kingdom of God. Jesus comes and he takes the role of a slave, washing the feet of his servants. Slaves are supposed to do that, but the king does it. It's the way that the kingdom works. The ethics, the playbook, the guidelines. The rules, everything of this kingdom is upside down. Here's proof from this passage. Jesus looks at his followers. He speaks to you and I today. And he says, when someone evil, evil. So he's not saying um, if a Christian hurts your feelings, turn the other cheek. He's not saying when your family's been a little bit difficult, maybe forgive them. He's not saying, I know your friends get to be impossible at times, but they're your friends, so forgive them. He's saying when somebody wicked, when somebody deeply to the core of who they are have done evil things against you, turn the cheek, give them your coat, walk the extra mile. Jesus has flipped the oldest law of humanity upside down and issued a new ethic in the economic system of the kingdom of God, evil will be returned with love. Evil will be returned with mercy. That's the kingdom of economy. The kingdom of economy takes the wicked and gives them forgiveness, takes death and turns it into life, takes brokenness and makes it wholeness, takes ruin and gives joy in the midst of it. This grace has the opportunity and the capacity and the power to fall even the most hardened hearts of the most evil and wicked people. And when those people become followers of Christ, they begin to demonstrate the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. The farthest out, the most wicked are offered mercy and forgiveness. Come to the king, believe the king, follow with the entirety of your life and have the fullness of Jesus. This is the kingdom of God. When someone evil comes against you, here's what we're supposed to do. Verse 39 goes on. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. Uh, this has nothing to do with physical abuse or somebody bullying you or somebody trying to and accomplishing a plan to hurt you. I know if you find yourself in those places where you're being abused physically, verbally even, it seems hopeless and that you'll never have a moment to escape that. But I tell you, as a church and many churches all over the country, we would love to walk with you. There's hope for you and we can get you out of their scenario, out of these scenarios, for sure. Um, when you're slapped, Jesus says, being slapped is meant as an insult. 
If they were trying to do you harm, if they're trying to hurt you, they would close their fists and they would come at you. They would come against you. Uh, Jesus isn't saying in this passage, um, it's really important if you get slapped once that you get slapped twice. That's the ethic of the kingdom of God. Let's make sure we get slapped twice. Because if you get slapped twice, then uh, people will know that we're full of mercy somehow. doesn't really make sense, but I tell you, if you get slapped, make sure you get slapped twice. That's the new ethic. That doesn't make any sense at all. And when we come to passages like this and we miss the depth, and we miss the, the reality that Jesus is installing, Christianity becomes really weird. And we lose the transformative power that we're supposed to have. We walk away from passages like this and think Jesus wants us to get slapped twice, not just once. It's absurd. What's happening here is this. Jesus is dripping grace into our hearts and our minds and our souls. He's forming us into the most formative group of people the world has ever seen. That's what followers of Christ are supposed to be. We're supposed to be dripped with so much grace and have such a different economy and such a new ethic that we can go and love the unlovable. We can go do justice to those who have never seen justice. We can take endless shots to our souls from enemies, from everybody around us, and never retaliate, never lash out. A punch is meant to do harm. A slap is meant to insult. And so Jesus is teaching when somebody insults you, when somebody has come against you and said things, done things, events has happened, don't count them. Don't retaliate. Don't store things up. It's far more than just that, though. This ethic is not, um, the problem really out there is the world, and if we could clean the world up, then we'd all be happy with each other. The issue ultimately is the heart of a follower of Christ, that our hearts are still inclined for pride. Our hearts are still inclined to take insults and lash back out. And so Jesus is saturating our souls and our hearts with this grace as we see him issue this new kingdom and this new ethic. We don't retaliate because when Jesus was put on a cross, he retaliated not. He shows us what power is. Power dies to itself so it can give life to somebody else. So what's been slapping your soul lately? What's been slapping your pride lately? Have you been offended by words? Have you been offended by how people treat you? Have you been offended by an event that happened at work? This would say the new ethic is grace that's unoffendable. That's a follower of Christ. We're unoffendable. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Uh, tunics and cloaks are not words that we really use today. Maybe if you're in fashion, these are words that you speak, but they seem like Old English or Aramaic, which they are. A tunic was your, your shirt that you wore, and your cloak was your coat. And in the first century, even if you were in poverty, you had two shirts and one coat, two tunics and one cloak. And so there was a law in Jewish society that if somebody was taken to court, you could sue them for all types of different things to bring recompense to what you lost, but you could not take their cloak. You could not take their coat. The coat was like a robe. It was long all the way down to their feet, most likely. It also served as their blanket at night. And so it was a humanitarian thing. If you took their cloak, if you took their coat, you were taking all of their warmth and all of their ability to keep themselves warm. And so they had this basic human right. Even in court, you can't take this right from me. 
And so what Jesus has just done here is he's saying, you have these basic rights, but to love people and to advance my kingdom and to offer this new ethic of grace to those who have cheated you, would you be willing to even give up your rights, your base human rights? This strikes Western, especially American Christians at the core of what we believe. We have this strange mingling of Jesus' teaching in the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the um, Declaration of Independence, where we know we have the right to life, liberty, and happiness. Nobody can take those from us. And, and we've also kind of added this. We, we have the right to pursue happiness any way we see fit, to have happiness any way we define it, even if it hurts other people. We have the right for freedom, we have the right for life, even if it crushes and destroys people around us. I see it just all the time. One person's right to happiness crushes another person's life. You can say anything, write anything, publish anything, it doesn't matter as long as you just crush them and you yourself thrive and breathe. But we follow a God, Jesus, who gave up his own rights. Not just like theoretically. On a cross, on a place called Golgotha, he gave up his right of happiness. He gave up his right of liberty. He gave up his right to life. He did die on that cross. And it's a beautiful thing because Jesus was willing to give up his rights. You thrive. On the cross, his pain turns into your joy. On the cross... His oppression turns into your freedom. In resurrection, his death turns into life, and now we have life in him. And so if we would stop fighting for our own rights so much, and we would extend rights to other people, remember, we're not talking about um, the church at large. We're not talking about the nation, the United States, changing the systemic injustice. We're talking about me, Tyler Jones, personally, forfeiting my rights so that the rights of others might thrive and prosper. It's for you, and it's for me. I think uh, in your relationships, just to use one tangible example, if you would stop demanding that people see you, that people hear you, more than anything, I need to be understood. I hear that so often. What if instead of demanding your right to be understood by your friends, by your spouse, by your parents, you pressed into their rights and gave them the right to have joy. And he gave them the right to have freedom. Freedom in Jesus. When the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. That he gave them the right to be resurrected from the dead and transformed into the glory of Jesus. He gave them the right to be sons and daughters of the King. He gave them right to be loved by the Father and pursued. Known by him. I think it would be transformative in your life. You'd be so different. You'd be a different person. You fought for the rights of others instead of for the rights of yourselves. What if we as followers of Christ gave up our right on upward mobility, on the American dream? What if we gave that up? What if we started to see our stuff, and Jesus is going to deal with this. We'll end here in just a second. Um, what if we stopped seeing the best thing that we could do in our life is to climb just a little bit economically every year, better cars, better houses, better vacations, more money, more retirement, and we started to see all the stuff that Christ has given us is uh, the provisions to fight for the rights of other people. Do you want to know what the ethic of the new kingdom is? Do you want to know what the economy of the new kingdom is? Jesus gave up heaven so you could have heaven. 
and he asks you to bear your cross, pick up your cross and follow me, surrendering my rights and your rights for the eternity of souls. That's what we're called to. So here's our last stop this morning, verses 41 and 42. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So uh, give up your pride, give up your rights, now give up your stuff. Jesus is really coming after us and it's for our freedom that he's doing these things. Uh, Two of the things that we love most in the category of stuff, um, time and money. First one is give up your time. Uh, A Roman soldier could come and force you to carry his stuff for a mile. That would be time-consuming. You're not going to walk a fast mile. It's heavy equipment. It's uh, desert-like conditions. It's hot. The Romans probably mocking you and picking on you the whole time. Um, And and Jesus says, don't go a mile. Go two miles. And so it's four miles out of your way. Um, If you're you're moving fast, you can walk three miles an hour, but you got all this equipment. It's probably uh, an hour there, an hour back. He's saying, give up your time, for even the Roman oppressor is over you. And he says, uh, when a man or a woman begs, you, you might get taken advantage of. But he doesn't talk about that. He just says, give. Have um, readily available resources to share and push forward the kingdom of God. How does, how does Jesus have the right to, to say these things? Here's how. Now, one penny is mine, and not one second of my life is mine. It all belongs to Jesus. Everything that I have is his. Here's here's how I want to close. Matthew 24 and 25 are, are passages that not only follow each other sequentially, but they are intertwined and connected. And I've always wondered, how is Matthew 24 and 25 connected? Matthew 24 is this uh, end of the world, um, revelation time, end of times passage where uh, there's wars and rumors of wars and there's murder and death and racism and there's darkness and there's uh, fire and just anything that you can imagine that's end of times. And then right after Matthew 24, Jesus tells this in Matthew chapter 25, uh, there was a wealthy master who had uh, three servants And he gave one talent, which is a measure of treasure, a portion of money. He gave one portion of money to one person, two portions of money to another, and five portions of money to a third. And he said, go and advance. Advance my kingdom. Advance my place. And when the master comes back many years later, uh, the one with one portion of treasure said, I was afraid. And so I dug it into the ground and I hid it. The one with two portions of treasure came back and said, I, I did everything that I could to make much of your name. Here's not just the two that you entrusted me, but two more. I have four portions for you. The one that had five portions came and he said, I, I just really leveraged everything in my life. And, and, and I don't have five portions of treasure. I have, I have 10 for you now. And Jesus says, uh, two of these people are full of mercy and ushered into the kingdom of God. And one of these is wicked. And so how does Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 go together? Here's how they go together. Matthew 24 and 25 are a discussion about a war being waged between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And the fight is over the most important commodity that the world has, children of God. And you as a follower of Christ 
have been issued wartime provisions and wartime commissions, and you're supposed to use your money and your time to leverage for the kingdom of God, to leverage for the kingdom of God. And so somebody looked at the calendar of your life, not just your Google calendar, but somehow they could pull your life out and see every moment and every hour. And today, these 24 hours and these 168 hours in this week, would they be able to say, you're in a wartime fight? You are leveraging every second that you have to raise godly kids, to love your neighbors, to love your enemies, to do justice to those who are wicked around you. Or or they look at you and say, have you deserted? It's a war and everybody's in it. And it seems like you're just absentee. Did Did you desert? I think there's just opportunity for somebody to look at your life at the end of your day and say, how lovely your life was. How beautiful it was that you served families who didn't have medical insurance, that you used a portion of your income to feed people, that you um, labored to give 1% more of your finances every year. And you ended up giving like 2% and 8% and 30% because you believed in the kingdom of God. (coughs) And then um, I would say this to you. As we we pray now, Jesus gave us a new ethic. It's an ethic of grace that you have been forgiven the inexcusable. And we now use everything that we have to press forward and make much of the name of Jesus, excusing the things around us in forgiveness because that falls hearts and brings people into the kingdom of God. And so, yeah, we are in a wartime place where the world around us seems um, breaking down. It seems um, justice will never be done. It seems um, more hearts will be ripped apart than ever before. And, And we're right there on the clashing of these two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And you've been sent in as officers and ambassadors, as medics as men and women specifically and uniquely gifted with time and rights and money and pride that we sacrifice over so that we can see many people come into the kingdom of God for the sake of the fame of Jesus. So join me giving up our pride, sacrificing our rights, giving our money and our time for the fame of Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, uh, we ask in this moment that you would help Matthew chapter 5 become a reality in our lives, Lord. That we wouldn't look at this just at the most surface level type of information where uh, we get slapped twice, but we would dig down deep and realize that you're offering and asking us to put everything on the table from our heart that's centered in pride to, to our rights that we have so based our lives on to things that we love like money and time, Lord. Let us not look back when we're 80, 90 years old and say, I think my time and my, my money would say I deserted the, the war at the end of time where souls hung in the balance, Lord. But instead, we, we gave everything that we have. Lord, Jesus hung on the cross, giving up his freedom and his liberty and his life and his happiness and his joy so that I could have eternal life. I'm forever indebted. I'm free because of you. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.